You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. Flames and the smoke. I have a tape recorder here in my hand. Now, nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. And this time we uh, look at a number of long-running institutions. Let's start with Walter Cronkite, who certainly needs no introduction. And then let's move on to the KCBS Radio Sunday interview program, In-Depth, which has run for many, many years, with many, many people participating as the interviewers. In this particular episode, Walter Cronkite is the guest, and two other people with long tenure at KCBS are the questioners. Ed Cavanero, who served as the radio station's news director and program director for more than two decades, and Rebecca Corral, who has a similar tenure as the midday anchor at KCBS. This episode of In-Depth originally aired on February 16, 1997. Do you believe television broadened America's knowledge of the world around us, and do, do you think that's still true today? Without a doubt it has, and it's just still doing so. KCBS In-Depth, a spontaneous and unrehearsed interview with one of the people making news. Our guest on KCBS In-Depth today is the most trusted man in America. You recognize his voice, and I doubt I have to say his name, Walter Cronkite. Mr. Cronkite has just written a book, A Reporter's Life, in which he tells the story of his long and amazing career in the news business, starting out as a war correspondent for United Press and then his many decades at CBS and his endeavors since his leaving the anchor desk. With Ad Cavanero, I'm Rebecca Corral. First of all, we want to thank you for talking to us today. It's an honor to talk to you. So do you think TV enriched us, and do you think that we've reached the point of diminished returns? There is no doubt that television has enriched us. Uh, it has raised the floor of knowledge among the masses uh, far beyond uh, any medium previously. Radio was approaching it, but television with its higher impact of pictures as well captured people to watch news who had never really exposed themselves to the news of the day until television came along. But Along with that came a ceiling of information and knowledge. It lowered the ceiling for a lot of of the middle-class uh, viewers. I'm not talking about economic middle-class, but intellectual middle-class who, uh, who uh, deserted newspapers and went to the television news. Uh, television news, unfortunately is not an adequate substitute for a good newspaper. The 21, 22 minutes of an evening news broadcast are totally inadequate to uh, to really cover the complicated nation we have and the complicated world in which we live today. Uh, and uh, uh, as a consequence, people who were getting most of their news, as a large majority of Americans said they were in polls, uh, were inadequately informed and are inadequately informed, uh, even more so today, when that 21, 22 minutes is not used for news in its in the package, but a lot of feature material crowds in there in the interest of getting ratings, they think, uh, so that we're getting half a package of less, uh, or less perhaps, news. So at any rate, we have lowered the ceiling 
uh, and we have raised the floor. And what that does is leave a rather narrow crawl space of information uh, for the uh, for the general public. Well, for the lowering of the ceiling, are you saying that for that class of people you're talking about, that they are less informed now than they used to be before television? News? Yes, I think so. I think so. Those who have, uh, and I th- I'm afraid there are many, uh, who have deserted print or at least uh, do not uh, uh, do not uh, spend as much time with their newspaper as they used to are getting less information than they got before. Uh, there's simply no uh, way that 21 or 22 minutes is going to substitute uh, in the evening news for uh, a full newspaper. Uh, back some years ago, our CBS news president of, uh, of honored memory, Dick Salant, uh, did a survey, and uh, not much of a survey, he counted the words uh, on the, an average newspaper page, standard newspaper page, and it turns out that all of the words spoken by everybody who speaks the words on an evening news broadcast of 22 minutes, say, uh, is, uh, that number of words is equal to two-thirds of the words on a standard newspaper page. So what, what did you see? You were the master of those 22 minutes for many, many years. What did you see as your role in, in delivering those 22 minutes? What was your goal? My goal was to give people a window on their world that day to uh, to try to uh, give them as, uh, as uh, much, as many headlines, if you please. And we were a headline service. but uh, And that may be wrong. I'm not saying that this is the perfect way to do it. But my concept is what you asked me. My concept was we should give them a guide to their day, their day so that they could go to other sources of information for more information. I even tried when I first broadcast a CBS evening news broadcast. <laughs> I dared to say for further information, read your local newspaper. Well, boy, the bells rang around there as if a, a, a Force 10 earthquake was on top of us, the uh, and it was as far as the news department was concerned, and as far as I was concerned, uh, never say that again. They uh, they advised me, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, Salant, uh, who was the president at the time, said uh, point made pointed out that uh, I was misdirecting people, that there were a lot of newspapers today that weren't giving much more information and local markets than than uh, uh, we were on the evening news. In fact, we probably were doing a better job than some small or local newspapers. So uh, I was uh, mistaken in my suggestion in the first place. In the second place, <laughs> the commercial interests of our station owners were deeply involved. Although this is how I rationalize working in a business that hands out news in 60-second segments, that I, I see my role as giving them a bit of something, piquing their interest and assuming they're going to go on and read the newspaper for the rest, but perhaps... Good good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps it doesn't work that way. You know, do you shudder over the fact that a lot of viewers confuse some of those tabloid entertainment programs with news and confuse those performers with reporters? Rebecca, this is the... uh, this is the basic disaster of the moment. Uh, we have a disaster every couple of years we have to worry about, but this is the disaster of, of these immediate years. Of course, they confuse it. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I get 
a response from the public occasionally or I'm making an appearance somewhere or other and I, I know that that's a fact. They're, uh, they're being confused. Uh, they do think that those performers on uh, those broadcasts uh, are, uh, are news people. They think this is a news broadcast. Uh, it's uh, the equivalent of the people who think Inquire and Star and so forth are newspapers. We know they're not. They're they're uh, they're nine tenths fiction, and uh, the other tenth is uh, is uh, uh, malappropriated material. <laughs> we label cigarettes, and we we label fatty food. So I wonder, shouldn't we label these programs so people will know this is not a newscast? Who would do the labeling? Mm. That's the problem with any kind of censorship. Uh, 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 you know, pornography for heaven's sakes. Uh, who was it who said? Uh, I, I I can't define it. I just know it when I see it. Well, we all know pornography when we see it, but you you can't censor Hustler magazine without censoring the New York Times. If, 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 if anybody who's going to have the authority to say that's bad can say that's bad about anything they happen to dislike. So you you there there can't be any compromise with freedom of speech. Although I I think you can pretty objectively say this is news and this is not news. These guys run by certain standards. Well, 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 we're saying that. We're, you're giving us the opportunity to say that. You probably said it on other broadcasts. That's about the only way we can do it is by uh, education. The answer to nearly all of our problems, I think, in the world and in the nation, particularly in this nation of ours, uh, and I'm talking about the serious problems of, uh, of crime and pollution and uh, welfare and uh, taxes and Medicare and all the rest. The, the answers to all of this are in education. And, uh, and I said that even before President Clinton said it. <laughs> the, 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 the answer is in education. And the same thing applies with this type of programming. If we had an educated public out there, that public would recognize this for what it is, the tabloid for what it is, the news for what it is. An educated public would demand better of our evening news broadcasts by our standard networks. Uh, it would uh, demand better of our newspapers, which can stand considerable improvement. Uh, but we don't have that educated public. The, uh, we, this is the, the sin with which we live in this country is that we think of ourselves as being the most highly developed of the democracies, et cetera, and we're trailing so far behind in education. Uh, it's terrible. Our guest on KCBS In-Depth today is newsman Walter Cronkite. Mr. Cronkite is sharing with us the story of his life and his adventures as a newsman. Many of these stories are in his new book, A Reporter's Life, which is published by Knopf with Ed Cavanero. I'm Rebecca Corral. Well, with the explosion of all the media, not just the tabloid shows, but also on the Internet, you really don't think that people are discerning enough to, to know what they should believe and what is credible and what is not? If I thought the people were discerning enough, I wouldn't be as nearly uh, as concerned and really worried and alarmed about the Internet as I am right today. Uh, I am very much uh, upset about the nature of the Internet. The anonymity of the people who are feeding the Internet with anything they wish to put on there uh, is, uh, to, to me, a, a serious danger to the community and individuals in that community. Uh, now, I'm not for censorship. The, the, I said this, I made this first 
public statement in this regard, I guess, at least the one that got attention two or three weeks ago. And since then, I gather, I've been assailed on the Internet and elsewhere by uh, by those who believe that freedom of speech and press somehow or other is, uh, is threatened, that I'm suggesting censorship on the Internet. Uh, uh, as Nixon used to say, let me make this perfectly clear. The, the, um, I am, I would not condescend for one minute to any censorship on the internet uh, of any uh, any restriction of anyone's right to print anything they want to print on the internet. However, I cannot see where that belief conflicts with a requirement that people identify themselves on the Internet so that they can be held responsible for what they put on the Internet. Uh, we have libel laws and laws against uh, 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 any kind of character defamation uh, on the uh, that affect all of the rest of us, radio and broadcasting, television and uh, print. Uh, uh, surely, surely there ought to be a similar protection uh, on the internet, it's not censorship. We're we're free to broadcast. We're free to to print. Uh, uh, you can print a pamphlet out there and uh, put it out the the. Uh, but on the internet, you're putting this thing out there with no identification, no way to trace, no address. Uh, the individual who is perhaps pilloried in one form or another by a user of the internet has no recourse, and uh, uh, and others get in and get into this, these chat rooms, so-called. Gosh, oh boy. Well, anyway, uh, let's leave that aside. But the, uh, uh, and, and, you know, they, they, they can continue this character uh, uh, assassination with impunity. This, this explosion of, of media choices has made the network newscasts much less influential. Was, is that inevitable as a, as a result of this explosion of media, or did the network news managers make mistakes a while ago to lead to their decline? Uh, I think both. Uh, the, the both, have let, uh, both have contributed to the decline. Uh, the, I don't think the Internet has really uh, been well, a Well, not just the Internet, fact. but other, all the other choices for well, news. Oh, yeah, well, the cable particularly. Um, uh, the, the cable, all news channels of CNN particularly as the pioneer and now two or three others uh, obviously sure have cut into the total uh, viewing audience of network evening news but uh, uh, but uh, the, the news managements have been forced to contribute to that I think the news managements themselves uh, are responsible people who would not take the measures they have taken if it weren't for the ownership uh, pressure. And uh, and this has gotten even greater with the mega ownership, if you please, of the uh, of the networks uh, uh, that are are uh, basically even more entertainment oriented uh, than the old networks were. They were entertainment oriented too. They were there basically for entertainment. News was a was a tail on that dog. The uh, uh, today, the new organizations have movies, uh, uh, cable channels, entertainment, books, magazines. They've got uh, they've got 
in the entertainment area on the television channels they own networks that they own uh, uh, they're used to making huge profits on a successful show I mean profits way up into three digits in some cases and they've unfortunately put news in that same category why can't the news produce profits like this they're looking for mega profits that news is never going to produce unless uh, and uh, unless they do us what they're doing which is reduce its cap the news capacity to do the job uh, so low that uh, they can milk that kind of profit out of it and that is irresponsible ownership they want a certain amount of money, period, and either you get it by cutting staff or by increasing audience or however, and I'm not sure whether our bosses necessarily care about which way we do it. But there's a pressure to cover stories a certain way. I, I have seen us all take part in what I call the frenzy, where we'll go out and do a story, and then we'll do the sidebars, and then we'll do the sidebars on the sidebars, and then we'll beat the death out of it. It's it's, And we're all doing it because everybody else it's is doing it. the O.J. Simpson syndrome. There's one. And, <laughs> and we almost can't do it because the other guy's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so we do it. And, you know, where does that all end up? I mean, how do you feel about that habit among news organizations? You know, you know my uh, the way I feel about that is that it's sure that the competitive pressure is intense and immense and uh, we are held responsible and our managements of the news organizations are held responsible for the rating staying up there and uh, that's that's the king's ratings Uh, but where does responsibility come in isn't there some and my example of that is in the days of uh, when newspapers were dominant the New York Times, I remember, had a circulation, and I'm going back to 1940s and 50s, had a circulation of 350 or 400,000. And the New York Daily News and the New York Mirror tabloids, New York Daily News had a circulation, I think it was up over, almost reached a million and a half, almost four times what the Times had. And, uh, and the Mirror had something akin to that. The Times didn't worry about that. The Times was the finest newspaper in the United States, and one of the greatest in the world. They didn't worry about the fact the others sold a million and a half copies. Their 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 readership was different. They 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 were they had they felt a different commitment to what they were doing, and the Times accepted possibly a lower rate of return than the news got. They were responsible publishers. They had a role to play in society that they took took upon themselves very seriously. Why can't broadcasters do that? I think that in the old days of Paley, Sarnoff, and uh, Goldenson, the pioneers of the three networks, they were after profits, believe me. Those three men uh, were thinking about profits most of the time, every day. But they understood also the role that the news departments had. Partly was because they had been told and understood, and it looked as if they'd never make a profit out of the news departments. Therefore, they could be they could be loss leaders uh, for prestige, and they looked at them that way. 
Unfortunately, when 60 Minutes came along, the first news program to show you could make a profit, they began to say, oh, wait a minute, if you can make a profit, uh, let's cut some costs here, let's do this and the other, and, uh, and probably the success of 60 Minutes that did us all in. But what I'm saying is, in, in an ideal world, uh, which we aren't likely to achieve perhaps, but maybe we can come close to it, isn't there some broadcaster out there somewhere in this world of commercial broadcasting, commercial television, there are broadcasters out there, National Public Radio, uh, for instance, uh, the public broadcasting system, for instance, in television, but uh, but in commercial radio and television, isn't there somebody out there that's got a concept that they could take those three-digit profit figures they get out of entertainment and return just enough proportion of that that they could put on one of the finest news broadcasts in the world with with without compromising product for profit? You know, I'm sure my boss and every soul in my newsroom would want to do that, but I'm wondering if the stockholders who ultimately get to make some decisions would agree with us. You know, the only way that that can possibly be done is to separate the news departments from the corporate structure into a separate organization, let people invest in that, people who have a sense of public responsibility and would be satisfied with 8, 9, even 10% profit, but don't demand that profit percentage increase every quarter and treat it like a hairpin factory. Do they still make hairpins? Buggy yes. whip factory is what I really meant. <laughs> the, the, but the, uh, 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 that, that could be done if they had that sense of responsibility to do it. Why don't they do it that way? There's the challenge. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, and you probably recognize the voice of the man we're talking to today, the most trusted man in America. I like to say that. It's Walter Cronkite with Ed Cavanero. I'm Rebecca Corral. Early in the book, you talk about the profound experience of having a baby. And <laughs> well, my wife really did that. Yeah, I, you I, had I a just, part I just had a small part. Being the girl here, <laughs> I, I, I just wonder how that impacted how you cover the news. Or if it did. Oh, I think it had no, uh, no doubt it had an impact. Uh, I, uh, I, I thought frequently of how this would affect my children. Uh, either the event would affect them as part of the society, a growing society, or how it might affect them individually. Uh, how if they heard this broadcast, what effect it would have upon them. I, uh, I did that, though, on all broadcasts. Uh, I... Uh, I never thought of uh, the whatever it was, 17, 18, 20 million people out there listening. Uh, on almost every item, I thought of some specific individual who I knew would have some particular interest in that story and wondered how it would affect them. Your daughter was a Woodstock, and, and you didn't oh, know she, about that. She sure was. I mean, you were reporting there. on this. Oh, our, 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 uh, yes, our younger daughter uh, was at Brarley, one of the finer schools in New York, and uh, and she asked us for five dollars to go to a concert, and uh, and I thought, uh, oh how wonderful! Kathy's interested in fine music, and she's going to Tanglewood or one of these places to a fine concert, and uh, it was called a concert, and that was just wonderful with me. And uh, Betsy and I were driving that Saturday uh, somewhere in the car, and uh, and we had the radio on, radio news on. 
and they started reporting on this wild scene of Woodstock of <laughs> naked bodies and the, the rain and the dope scene and my gosh, people passing out on the and the, the the mud and the terrible picture, and Betsy and I are saying, "Isn't that terrible? Oh, can you imagine?" And then the one of them came on, the announcer came on and said, "And this concert uh, is uh, really," and we looked at him and said, "Concert, concert, this is a concert? Oh my gracious, that's where, that's where she is. She's at a concert." Speaking of Woodstock and all the amazing events in history that you chronicled i mean just the 60s alone were just amazing you look back at that the 60s was a decade unlike any other in uh, almost in, i think in american history maybe almost world history the things that happened to us as a people in the in the uh, in the 60s the assassinations of the president uh, his brother the Medgar Evers has started this chain of thing. Martin Luther King, of course, the assassinations, which one after another uh, caused us to great woe and wonder about our civilization and our people. Uh, the, uh, the Vietnam War, and the most divisive event in American history since the Civil War, maybe the most divisive ever in some ways. The... Uh, uh, the uh, the, the youth revolution, the hippie generation, the narcotics, the birth control, and the uh, uh, the, the birth the control birth control pill, uh, the uh, and uh, the opening up of a new liberal society. Uh, I guess you call it liberal, free love society at any rate. Uh, the uh, uh, and uh, and all of this capped with of all things the space program and man making this incredible accomplishment of landing on the moon escaping our earthly environment and going out there to another heavenly body another orb uh if, if what 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 a 10 years you describe yourself as a man who has been known to shed a tear in a movie how did you manage to not cry on the air or or did you ever well, the, uh, the that's been much, I'm afraid, shown in television, particularly with the anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy last November. But the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, Kennedy assassination was tough. Uh, the I think that we reporters uh, all have uh, much the same cardiovascular system for the pumping adrenaline of a story breaking the uh, and and we shut out emotion like policemen and firemen and emergency room personnel uh, we do our job and we have the job to do and it's not until we sit down later and uh, think about the emotional impact that it comes to us the horror that we've just been witnessing uh, the uh, and in some ways that was what happened to me with Kennedy. The uh, an hour and a half or so that we reported on the events of Dallas, the the uh, the the mere challenge of getting the story and getting it across in the air occupied me completely until that minute that I had to say that here is the official word: the president is dead, and and I choked up. I I uh, I, uh, I I didn't shed a tear as people say really I, I think I had a tear in my eye perhaps it didn't shed quite it didn't fall but it uh, but uh, my voice choked I couldn't quite get the words out 
and I think that uh, that that was the toughest moment. Uh, you were you were pretty choked up though when you were there watching man set foot on the moon as well. Well, well, that was yeah. You know, yes, I I also cry over perfect performances. <laughs> I can cry over a great acrobatic act on the stage, uh, the uh, uh, and uh, a real fine performance. And this here was this incredible performance of this uh, great effort we've been put in, very expensive effort, uh, heroism uh, of the fellows who went out there and did it. And uh, here we'd accomplish that incredible feat that was going to live in history forevermore as, the, as one of the great moments of human history. Yes, I, uh, I, I didn't choke up as much as I couldn't say anything. <laughs> I'd, I'd had, I had the same length of time that the NASA had to prepare for this landing. And all I could say was, oh, boy, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it has truly been a pleasure talking to you. Our guest on KCBS In Death today has been newsman Walter Cronkite sharing stories from his new book, A Reporter's Life. With Ed Cavanero, I'm Rebecca Corral. You have been listening to KCBS In Depth, a news discussion series broadcast every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. KCBS In Depth is produced by Cheryl Raines. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio.